Hulk Recorded live. And they said to the mountains and rocks, all on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Father, I thank you for the reading of your word. I pray now that you will have your way, that you will speak according to your will. This, this, reveal to us your word. Speak to us, Lord God. Empower us with your word. Grant us greater knowledge, greater understanding. Lord, guide us by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I am your temple, which is given unto me by God. I am not my own. For I have been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. Therefore, I glorify you, God, in my spirit and in my body, which are yours. I am yours, Holy Spirit. I use me as the vessel that you will speak through on this morning. If you don't do it, I will fail, because I can do nothing without you, Holy Spirit. Greater are you that is in me than he that is in the world. Now sanctify this place anew again, afresh. Your, your holy presence be here now. Glorify yourself. Glorify God the Father. Glorify God the Son. And be glorified as God the Holy Spirit. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray and we give thanks. Amen. Today we learn that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, Savior of mankind, is opening the sixth seal. Today, as he opens this sixth seal, we get the opportunity to look into the future and see the events that will take place in the earth in the last days. Not everybody can boast of that seeing into the future. These last days is referred to as eschatology. Now, word eschatology I'm going to talk about that a little bit here. Hopefully you can see that. And uh, if not, then I'll, can you see it right here? Okay. Now, the word eschatology is spelled E-S-C-H-A-T-O-L-O-G-Y. Now, eschatology is defined as the study of what will happen at the end of history particularly the event known as the second coming of Christ. The word comes from two Greek words, eschatos, E-S-C-H-A-T-O-S, meaning last, and logos, meaning study. And so eschatology is the study, as I said, uh, of, of last things. So the teaching on eschatology is most enlightening, but too much for us to try and address here today. Uh, but I just wanted to give you that reading, that understanding, that definition. So just understand that when you hear the word eschatology, that it is to be, it is to the believer, now listen, it is to the believer a word of encouragement. It is to the believer a word of encouragement that you witness for Jesus Christ must continue, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come, says Matthew, chapter 24, verse 14. 
14. And then, of course, 1 Corinthians says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not for nothing. Your labor is important. Serving Christ is important. What you do for Christ is important. God sees that, and he honors your faithfulness, your commitment to his service. You have to lift up the name of Jesus every opportunity you get. Don't ever let the opportunity pass you by. Revelation, therefore, is a present look into future events that will take place in the earth in the last days. And that's why we're in the book of Revelation. My reading and praying and thinking about the events of this book of prophecy has allowed me to notice that John's account of his privileged spiritual invitation, not everybody got an invitation to be in heaven, he got a spiritual invitation to peek behind the spiritual doors of heaven and to record the various theories, to record the coming events. I love it. Uh, and so you have to understand that when you get an opportunity to peek into the Word of God and get an understanding and then be able to go out and tell somebody else about it, wow, you're telling them you are prophesying to them about their future if they receive Christ. You're prophesying to their future if they don't receive Christ, as a matter of fact. So, he has to look behind the coming events, and he wrote it because he was instructed to write it. And I love this. So the one, now there are many different ways of looking at the book of Revelation. Some people come up with all kinds of ways to say that Revelation uh, is, uh, is already, the event that Revelation has already taken place. Well, how can that be? Because there hasn't been total destruction of the earth yet. Even that in itself tells me that it's not that's not it. So and so I believe that while some people use various theories to interpret revelation, I'm gonna tell you why I believe that I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna go with what the word says. Amen. So I embrace it's a different one, but I'm going to use, I embrace the futuristic approach to this book of Revelation. Why? Because I see the events of Revelation as future events to take place. I suppose this would make me a premillennialist because I believe in the future uh, occurrence of these things that are mentioned in Revelation. So to me, I approach the sacred scripture as little, not figurative, but literal. Amen. That is what it says. It says what it means. When I was in, when I was taking um, home hermeneutics and homiletics, one of the things my, my professor said is that the meaning of the text, the meaning is the author's intended meaning. So to embellish it, to add more to it, is wrong. So I believe that what it says, it means, simply because you and I cannot see, it's by, with our little minds, 
the actual occurrence of the pending events recorded in Revelation doesn't mean that they are not literally going to happen as stated in the book. John in his first in the spirit, I'm going to tell you why. John in his first in the spirit moment was commanded by the Lord, what you see is write in a book, Revelation chapter 1, verse 11b. And yet again, write the things which thou hast seen and the things and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. The word write as stated here requires instant action. Not, not, no, 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 no. Instant action. He does not say, now, John, here's what I want you to do. I want you to see it. Then I want you to take some time and think about what it means. And then after you do that, then I want you to write it down. That's not what he said. He said John was to immediately write what he saw. No guessing was no guessing was permitted at all. Why? Because as it is seen and written in Second Timothy chapter three verse sixteen, it tells us all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for reproof, for instruction, for correction in righteousness, that you and I, as people of God, may be thoroughly furnished and completed for everything that we stand in need of. We have it because the Scripture has given it to us. It is perfect just the way it is. Secondly, because if you understood the role of the Holy Spirit, and John was in the Spirit, was he not? That is, under the influence and guidance of the Holy Spirit, you would know that it is impossible for a man to do anything but what the Spirit instructs him to do. You might ask the question, is there an example in the Bible where someone is in the Spirit and cannot do anything but what God tells him to do, or what the Spirit tells him to do? And my answer is yes. There are, there are, there are a number of examples. Now, if you have your Bible, turn with me on your iPad or your iPhone, uh, whichever you have. If you have your Bible with you, I want to bring you guys into just a several of those, a uh, several persons in particular. For example, in Exodus chapter 17, verse 14. Exodus chapter 17, verse 14. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. That's Revelation chapter, I mean, Exodus chapter 17, verse 14. Exodus chapter 24, verse 4. It tells us, and Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. Now, here's what I want you to read when you get home. Numbers chapter 22 through 24. Balaam could only speak blessings over a blessed Israel and not curses because he was required to speak only what God instructed him to speak. Then there is Isaiah's vision of the Lord, the Lord's question and Isaiah's response. In Isaiah chapter 1, 6, verse 8, he says, And also I heard the voice, this is Isaiah talking, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, I, here am I, send me. And finally, Ezekiel. Don't miss Ezekiel's encounter, uh, of, and commission, encounter of and commission by God. Uh, chapter 1, verse 3. And chapter 2, verses chapter 2 and 3 
verse 4. All of chapter 2 and chapter 3, verse 4. That's where I want to stop at for Ezekiel. Take a look at that. With these examples, I see no reason to second-guess God. I see no reason to second-guess his word. Are there things written in the Bible I do not understand yet? There are. I believe God, however, is capable of clearly conveying the meaning he wants us to receive from his word. Only God can unlock the true meaning of his word, and he does so according to his timing and his purpose by his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He is our guide and our comforter to all truth. With the opening of this sixth seal, we see that in the end times, there will be cosmic disturbances. Now, this is in addition to what has already taken place with the first five seals opened by the Lamb of God. The word cosmic, let me spell it for you, the word cosmic, C-O-S-M-I-C, cosmic, the word cosmic means, let me give you Webster's and the American Dictionary of the English Language, what it says. The word cosmic is relating to the world or to the whole system of visible bodies, including the earth and stars. Now, we may have a little science lesson here on this morning. Because when I, when I received Revelation, when I saw this, I, I, my mind flashed back to some of the things I learned uh, in college, my science in college, my college science. I just, just flashed back to that. And then my, my conversation with my, my oldest granddaughter and, and some of the things she was, because she loved science, and she was telling me this stuff. I said, well, I thought it was seven. And she said, no, 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 it's X number. And I forget how many numbers she said. But we'll get to that. Now, so disturbance then is defined as, and this is disturbance, as you all well know, And you all well know disturbance is defined as an interruption of a settled state of things, disorder, a tumult. So the physical body mentioned in the first definition includes the whole system of visible bodies, that is the sun, the moon, the stars, and the earth. That's what's covered in our passage in this sixth seal here that has been cracked open by our Lord. And disturbance speaks of the unsettling of the earth, of the moon, of the stars, and of the, and of the earth and, and, and the sun. So the big question becomes then, when does these events of the breaking of the sixth seal happen? And I love that question because Matthew chapter 24, 24 verse 29 tells us the answer to that question immediately after the tribulation of those days he says the sun will darken, be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 12, but the day of the Lord will come as a feast in the night, uh, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the words that are in it will be burned up, verse 10, verse 11, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God 
because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with burning heat. So the consistency of the Bible, it does not contradict itself, but it confirms itself and reaffirms itself, and it interprets itself. So the question is, is what is the meaning of the events of this sixth year? And so John, John identifies, I say, three incredible disturbances that can take to happen at the opening of this of sixth year. They are the earthly disturbances, the celestial disturbances, and then the human disturbances. Let's take a look at this first one, the earthly disturbances. Thank you. E.B. The earthly disturbances. I want to take a look at verse 12, Revelation chapter 6, verse 12a and verse 14b. Revelation chapter 12a and Revelation chapter 1. I'm sorry, not 12, but I'm sorry, 6, chapter 6, verse 12a and verse 14b. It says in verse 12a, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was an earthquake. And then then 14b, every mountain and every island was moved out of its place. Why is it catastrophic? Because it's, it's 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 getting the universe. It's getting not only it's not hitting just the stars and skies, the stars and skies, and everything in the skies, but it is hitting the earth. Everything is falling apart. Everything is being torn down now. Catastrophic. Catastrophic. Now, it says, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And number and then 14b, every mountain and every island was moved out of its place. And so when I saw that, I thought immediately about chaos. And so I say earthly chaos. That's what it is, earthly chaos. If you remember your fifth grade science, and here we go. Here we go in the science. If you remember your fifth grade science, you will now you will know about plate tectonics. Scientists believe the Earth's surface is broken up into a dozen large pieces as well as a number of smaller ones. The earth plate, each plate is still inflexible, won't move, can't bend, don't do any of that stuff, moving sheets of rock about 60 miles thick, made up of crust and parts of the upper mantle or the topsoil. So while these plates cover the earth, the seven plates, the seven largest plates are located in the Pacific, in Africa, in Antarctica, in North America, in Eurasia, in Australia, and in South America. They make up about over 50%, over 90%, I would say, of the Earth. Since the surface of the Earth is considered to be about 197 million miles, that's the surface of the Earth. If you, let, me say, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Let's say that if I wanted to find how much work surface I have right here, I would multiply the width times the length, length, 
and that will tell me how much work service I have to work with. Now, you consider the earth 197 million square miles of surface. That's a lot of, that's a lot of surface. That's 197 million miles. So about 71% is covered by water, 29% of that is covered by land. And John says there will be a great earthquake. This means that the movement of these large plates will produce an earthquake unlike anything that has ever been experienced by man before. That is huge because as the reason we have earthquakes and they do, and they scientists putting these uh, meters in the ground because they want to check the size, seismic movement uh, of, of the earth. And they put these meters in the ground to determine that. And so if one of these big plates don't bend, they're not flexible. And so if they kind of move a little bit, that's going to start an earthquake. And that's when you, when you get earth, you have these plates underneath the ocean. And that's why when, when they move, like in Japan a few years ago, when, when, when they shifted, it caused a massive tsunami, a tidal wave that came in and just wiped out all of the, so many lives and so much property there in Japan, even damaging their nuclear reactors and, and what have you. That's what I'm talking about. This is, but this is going to be on a much larger scale. So, how are we doing? Are we doing okay so far? You just probably think you weren't going to school today, did you? <laughs> but this is only the first, and so, so this is only the first of a number of earthquakes. Uh, Revelation chapter 8, for example, verse 5, says, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it into the threw it to the earth, and there was a, there was a, there were and there were noises, thunderings and lightnings, and then an earthquake. In the Revelation chapter eleven, verse thirteen and verse nineteen, in the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tent of the city fell. In the earthquake, seven thousand people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to God and to God in heaven. Then verse 19, then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings and noises and thunderings and earthquakes, earthquake and great hail. Verses chapter 16, verse 18, and there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake. Such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Earthquakes were not just prophesied here in Revelation, but the Old Testament prophets spoke of the earthquake. Micah chapter 13, verse 8. Micah chapter 13, verse 8 tells us, For, the, for nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famine and trouble. These are the beginning of sorrow. Earthquakes represent God's divine judgment against the inhabitants of the earth. They refer to the period of intense suffering that's going to take place before Jesus' second coming. And then when I thought about earthly chaos, I thought about 
shifting of the status quo, the changing of the way things are. They're no more the way they want to be. Not only is this shifting of the status quo going to affect the earth itself, but what affects the earth is going to affect man. Shifting of the status quo. So great will this earthquake be that every mountain and every island will be removed from their current location. Mount Everest in the Himalayas will be moved. Um, upon Akon, I'm sorry, Akon in the highest mountain in the Americas, located in Argentina, will be moved. Mount McKinley in Alaska will be moved. Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, Africa, will be moved. Pico Cristobal Cologne, alone in Colombia, will be moved. Every mountain, every landmark on Earth will be moved. Regarding Island Greenland will be removed, as will as well as New Guinea, Benio, Borneo, Barneo, Madagascar, Baffin Island in Canada, Hakate, Hokkaido in Japan, Hispaniola in the, in the Caribbean, and Sakhalin in Russia. All will be moved. Every island will be moved. You can forget about your GPS on your phone, on your car, or wherever you might have one. Forget about your iPhone. Forget about your power. Communication. Forget about it. Forget about your car, for that matter. You can forget about everything because this is total chaos. And when I think about this earthly chaos, I also think about the cosmic results. Not only will they, but because the earth, just something happening on earth, the earth kicks off the heavens, right? Not only will the earth be in total ruin, but the shaking of earth will also bring about the shaking of the planet. And that takes us to our second point here, the celestial disturbance, verses 12b through 14a, verses 12b through 14a. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig drops its late fig when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a roll when it is rolled up. Let's just take these things one at a time. Let's talk about the sun if we can. In Genesis 1, God calls the sun the greater light. Why? Take note. Take note. Why did he call it the greater, greater light? Because it could rule the day, right? And the lesser night was the moon, and so it ruled what? The night. Now, let me show you something here real quick. Let me show you something about our solar system here. Let me do this real quick. And I can do this real quick. Okay. This is the Earth. This is the moon. This is the sun. And the moon moves on an elliptical, in an elliptical way. Basically, it moves around the Earth. When it gets here, here and here are low tides. When it gets here, it's high tide. When it gets down here, when it hits here, it's high tide. 
When it gets back to this side over here, it's low tide. So the, the waters, the seas rise and fall as the moon rotates around the earth. And now look, this is the earth. It's very small compared to the sun. And the moon, I mean, the, the earth is, and look at the moon in comparison to the sun. The earth, very small. I love this. Now, the sun, according to scientists, made up of, is made up of hydrogen and burns at a temperature of 5,500 degrees Celsius or 9,938 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, according to Jason Lau, Ph.D. in astrophysics, in his book, The Heavens Declare, the creation and science confirms it, taking back astronomy, he says the sun is over 100 times the diameter of the earth. Now, let me give you the definition of the diameter. The diameter of a circle is any straight line segment that passes through the center of the circle whose endpoints lie in the circle. This is the diameter. This line here, so from here to here, this is the diameter, that internal width there. I'm loving this. If it were hollow, if the sun were hollow, we could take, we could take, you won't believe this. You will not believe this. But if the sun was hollow, you would believe it. I, we could take, one million plus one million plus of the earth and place it in the sun. If the sun was hollow, you can put a million plus earth in the size of that sun. That's how much bigger the sun is than the earth. That's huge. That's huge. This is science. And so God created, if you look at all this, you say, God is an awesome God. And to make something like that, to heat up this right here in the earth is the only place in the solar system that we know of so far that has water. Only place. I'm, I'm liking this. I tell you, I, I begin to look at this and I say, wow. And he continues by stating that the sun is, is, is an incredible distance of 93 million miles from the earth. That's how far the sun is from the earth. He says, if, you, if it were possible to drive to the sun, driving at 65 miles an hour, it would take you 163 years to get to the sun. 163 years. You don't live that long. Nobody does. If you drove at 65 miles an hour to go to the sun in your little car, you would never get there. Because you'd be dead before you got there. 163 years. This speaks to the incredible creative power of God. Now, John, along with Old Testament prophets, tell us that this incredible orb, that is the sun, that provides daylight and heat for us here on earth is going to become black as sackcloth of hair. Now, what does that mean? That's a good question, don't you think? Sackcloth is a rough, coarse cloth or a bag-like garment, dark in color, made of goat's hair. That's what sackcloth of hair is. It's just, goat. It's just a, it's a bag or garment that's made like, and it's very rough, and it's made from goat skin, goat hair. And so people, you know how you see the ponchos where you put a hole in the middle and you wear it in the sound book? That's what 
and they were repentant and they were or they were mourning. And then of course prophets wore that. And so sometimes and you never wear it next to your skin because it just isn't good for you. But some people that's all they had, that's what they wore. Follow me. So they made do with what they had. Isaiah fifty verse three says, I clothed the heavens with darkness, and I made sackcloth their covering. Mourners, those who repent and prophets who wear the garment, made of sackcloth and have fire. By his use of the word as, and notice, let me go here now. Don't, 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 uh, don't go anywhere. But turn in your Bible back to Revelation chapter 6. <clears throat> right back there, and, and let's take a look at it. He says, the sun, now listen, this, I think this literal, that's a literal earthquake. He says, the sun became black as sackcloth, as light comparison. I became just like that, dark, couldn't see nothing. You, you've been in pitch like that, and you've been in pitch before. When the stars were not out, the moon was not out. All you, you open the, you open the hatches, you look out, and all you see is just darkness. You can't see, or you hear the water, but you can't even see the water. That's how dark it is out there, and and it's going to be just that dark. Remember in Israel when God, when God in Egypt, God caused darkness to come over Egypt. And it's so thick you can feel it. It's going to be like that, pitch black. And so you you know how it is. If you don't, if you have dark shades in your house and and your light and you lose your power, uh, and it's nighttime, you can't see anything. Am I right? Am I right? But it's going to be worse than that. So this word "as" is going to use as is a comparison. It's just like this. And this, I love God how He helps us to understand. So this gives us this word, so this word as that John is giving us is something that compares this darkness, this darkened sun with. So in other words, this gives us a clear picture of what the sun will look like. Black. See that right there? Black. See that for two days? Pitch black. Can't see it. Black is not a color. Neither is white a color. If we go to the color wheel, we'll find that neither one of those are colors. Here in Revelation, John is telling us that the darkened sun represents God's severe judgment. This will be a dark time on earth and in the lives of those individuals who do not have their Savior and Lord as have as their Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. They are going to be in serious, serious trouble. Let's take a look at the moon. In the prophet Joel, in chapter 2, verse 31, he says, if he quoted the same, the sun shall be turned into darkness. Mm-hmm. And the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Anytime you hear uh, the day of the Lord, we're talking about the we're talking about eschatology. We're talking about the end time, the last thing. That's what every time you hear the day of the Lord, you're talking about the end time, the coming of the Lord. Our Lord quotes Joel in Matthew chapter 24, 24, Matthew 24, verse 29, by saying, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. So you already passed through five seals and the chaos and the turmoil and all of the things that were done as a result of those five seals being opened. And now the tribulation, the tribulation of those days, 
Jesus said, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Peter also quotes the prophet Joel in Acts chapter 2, verse 20. He says, the sun shall be, shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. In helping our understanding, John makes a comparison between the color of the moon and the color of blood. He says, and the moon became light or air or and to say, in other words, it became the same color as, and I'm sure you guys have heard of the blood moon. And people use the blood moon as a means of prophesying, trying to determine the end time. And this is what he's saying. The moon will be like blood, red, blood red. So this means he is, he had, as he continued to look, John saw the moon turn red. At the opening of this sixth seal, the moon became red like blood. Then we go to the stars. They will fall to the earth. As, as, as the late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. I don't know if you've ever seen fruit before. I don't know if you've ever seen pecans on a tree before. But when we but when I was growing up, if I, I would jump up in that orange tree and I would sometimes I would just shake the branches and I would, the oranges would fall. And then I would just get down, and I would pick them up, and then I would put them in the bin. And then, and then of course, if a strong wind came along and, and at the right time and blew against the, the concrete, then they just fall. Or if you get up there and you shake them, they fall. And that's what he's talking about. Just take a look. It, it doesn't have to be fruit. Listen, if you see these little, if you see these little uh, dandelions out there, and you see these little white bugs, when the wind blows hard enough, what happens to them? They become airborne, don't they? They start floating around, or you can go down and you can pick one up and you can blow on it, and it'll just start to break apart. See what I'm saying? There's a strong wind. So John uses a familiar analogy. <laughs> uh, he uses a familiar analogy of the fig falling to the ground when the strong winds of the spring and winter causes unripe figs to fall from the tree. These figs don't defy gravity. They don't rise to heaven. They, they, so they fall to earth in a similar manner. Gravity takes hold of stars that dislodge from the place from their places in heaven, resulting in them falling to the earth. We're talking because we're talking catastrophic events here now. We're not talking about oh no, that's not going to happen. They're just talking about governments and, you know, and rulers of the world and how they're going to all just be shaking it on. No, 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 no. John doesn't say that here. John says the stars are going to fall. They're going to fall. And we're saying, oh, well, the earth, if they fall on the earth, there's going to be the earth. That's exactly right. The earth is going to be destroyed. There's going to be a new heaven, and there's going to be a new earth. So who cares about this one anymore? Keep in mind that while this present earth is being destroyed, God has prepared a new heaven and a new earth to replace this old one. Just like when your clothes get old, you go out and you buy new clothes. If your clothes get, you know, filthy, dirty, stained, and they don't know how much washing you do, they just can't seem to get clean. 
you go out and you get something else. Well, there we're going to see his last day. What we see here, we're not going to see anymore. Literally, stars will fall to the earth. Isaiah 34 and 4 says, All the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. All the hosts shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine and the fruit falling from a fig tree. Then there's a removal of heaven itself. Then the sky receded as a as a scroll when it is rolled up. So when you're reading a scroll, normal practice is that you would unroll it with your right hand and, and read, and then you would be rolling it with your left hand so that you can continue to advance. And so this is what he's talking about. So if we go back to Isaiah chapter 34, verse 4, which I just read, we'll see that all the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a wet scroll. So all the hosts of heaven shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine and as fruit falling from a fig tree. So God, we see God here showing John the fulfillment of a prior prophetic utterance. We think that some people think that, well, all right, they just what God said, what they said in the Old Testament, no, that, that's not going to happen. And then they're repeating it over here in Revelation, they're repeating it over here in Matthew, they're repeating it in Mark, they're repeating it uh, in, in Joel, they're repeating it in Malachi, they're repeating it in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they're repeating it in all of these Old Testament books, and it's not going to happen. Guess what? In the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is the only book of prophecy in the in New Testament. It is the only book of prophecy in the New Testament. And it is chaptering a lot of what has been talked about in Daniel. It's been talked about in Ezekiel, in Isaiah, in Malachi, in Joel, and all the other prophets. This is being, this is coming to pass. I don't know who you are. I don't know if you believe or if you don't believe. But I'm telling you, if you believe, know for a certainty that no matter what happens on this earth, because you belong to Christ, you have nothing to worry about. When that new heaven and that new earth come, hey, guess who's going to be there? Hello. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Not because of anything I have done, not because of my work, but because of Christ, what Christ has done and because of Christ's work that I have this privilege, that you have this privilege. There are those who treat the Bible as just another piece of literature. They are sadly mistaken. Everything in heaven will be removed. Nothing will remain in heaven. Neither the sun, nor the moon, nor the stars. Literally, there is nothing left. Absolutely nothing. Now, let's take a look at this last one here. Let's take a look at this last one. Human disturbances. Verses 15 through 17. See, we've moved from the earthly and the celestial disturbances, and now we're moving into the human disturbances. And then and if you think this is something, just wait. There's more to come, and it's going to be more awesome than this. So if you can, bring some paper, bring a pen, and begin to take some notes because this is just 
awesome. This is awesome. I'm, I'm learning so much here. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the commanders, and the mighty men, and every slave, and every free man, he had built himself in the cave and in the rocks of the mountains. Verse 16, and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Verse 17, for that, for the great days of his wrath have come, and who is able to stand? When I think about this human destruction, I think about the equality of judgment. God is not a respecter of person. You blow it, you, you own it. You deny him, your, your choice, not his. He does not care all. You can look at him and bat your eyes and you can do spiritual eyes, whatever you want to do. But you don't have Christ, you are finished. You are finished. God is no respecter of person. Literally, he does not get caught up in your race. He does not get caught up in your nationality. He does not get caught up in your color of your skin. He does not get caught up in the texture of your hair. He is not moved by outward appearances, but rather by the internal state of your heart. That's what moves God. He will judge not having the hearing of his, of seeing of his eyes or the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness, he will look inside of you and see you for who you really are. That's who he is. That's what he does. He's God, and there is nothing hid from him. Your most intimate secrets are already written down in the book. If you're not here, they're already written down. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you might think some things about somebody, and God doesn't like that. It's going down the book. You might talk about somebody behind somebody's back. It's going down the book. You may say all that. You may drive down the street, street and somebody cuts you off. You stick up your middle finger and say a few words. Jesus 
laughed at him, crucified him, spat on him, cursed him, lied on him, betrayed him, turned their backs on him, and walked away from him. These people, the kings that thought they were all mighty on earth, they they the great men because they were mighty in battle. They won some wars. They killed a bunch of people. Rich men that think they were entitled to everything. And then, of course, the commanders who had sea and ruling and commanding other men. And the mighty men, every slave and every free man, noticed where they, where they were, what they, what they were doing and saying. Notice it. Number one, they hid themselves in caves and in the rocks of the mountains. Their behavior tells me a couple of things about them. Number one, they were they were not ignorant of what was going to take place or what is taking place. They knew about it. They heard about it. And yet they continued to do the things that they wanted to do. They, they were rats, like rats abandoning a sinking ship. They knew that their life was over. And they were trying to do whatever they could to survive because they went into survival mode. Remember Simon was saying when they were looking for him, where did they find him? In a hole. Yeah. Some of the caves that the Israelites chased down ran into caves and they would seal those caves up so they couldn't come out. And then at the proper time, they opened up those caves and they went in and they stabbed them out and they murdered and killed them. Because if he didn't kill that snake, he would get another army together and come after them. So they knew what was taking place. Their actions tell me that they had been talked to at least once about the return of Christ. They had an opportunity to invite Christ into their life, but they rejected him. They realized their mistake, but it was too late. Rejecting Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord was an eternally deadly decision that could not be undone. They lived life on their own terms and had no place in their heart to be. That's the first thing I observe. Here's the second thing. Every criminal finds a hole to hide in. Simon saying, I told you about that. Many kings and crooks of ancient days did it. People today do it. They find a hole to fall into to try to avoid being caught and being punished. ISIL will suffer. Every member of ISIL will suffer one day at the hand of God, at the hand of Christ, because he will judge them. Every, every member of Boko Haram, every person that has kidnapped child, children and women and, and sold them into slavery, every one of them, if they are unrepentant, will stand before Christ and the judgment day, and he will punish them. Every life that has been taken wrongfully will have to be dealt with. They ran and found a hole to hide in. So you ask this question, how many criminals have you heard of ever, after committing a crime, is bold enough to stay in the scene of their crime and wait for the police to show up? How many? I doubt none do. Every one of them flees. Well, there is no plea from the presence of God. He, he, he sees all, he knows all, and he is in every place at the same time. Listen to what you know the story is just David's Psalm 139. No matter where I go, if I take the means, the wings of the morning, the side of the other parts of the sea, behold, George, you were there. Your right hand feeds me, and you you hold me up and guide me. You're up there. I can't hide from you. Darkness is just like light to you. 
to avoid facing God, they cried out to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They know what time it is. They know what time it is. It is judgment time. God's wrath with the wicked, mm, with the wicked in the, in, is the guarantee of his mercy and love for the righteous. Just as much hatred God has for the unrighteous, that's how much more love he has for the righteous. At the end, at this judgment time, because at that, it's all over. It's done. You either are or you're not. You either in or you're out. You either live forever or you burn forever in fire and brimstone. Your choice. That's called hell. That's what that's called. H-E double toothpick. Uh, so not every, not even the dead will escape the land's wrath. Though there will come a day that even those who are in the grave will hear the son, the voice of the Son of God. And those who, who uh, received him will rise to eternal life. Those that did not receive him will rise to eternal damnation. But everything will, every human being, dead and alive, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged. Not even the dead can escape. You know how you used to get in trouble when you go home, you know your parents are going to beat you up behind you, go and you go and you go in your room, you get in the bed, you try to go to sleep and pray that they don't come in there and walk in and they, they do it anyway. You didn't escape. You ain't going to escape this. Nobody's going to escape this. Hmm. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead, they that 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 they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Revelation chapter eleven, verse eighteen. And then I hear the question being asked. This is my final uh, sub-point under this third uh, division uh, of this sermon here. I heard the question, who shall be able to stand? Who indeed shall be able to stand? It is the question the prophet Nahum asked. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. Who indeed can stand? Nahum 1.6 and Micah 3.2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? But he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. King David, the sweet psalmist, asked asked and answered the question in Psalm 24, verses 4 through 5. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor disloyed deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing of the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. That's who going to be able to stand in the presence of the Lord. Who shall be able to stand? The believer, the saint, the prophet, the Christian. Hallelujah. Let me say something. The events of 
that uh, the events contained in this six-year-old reading. Uh, and some people don't believe that, but I firmly believe that. Because nowhere is all these other theories supported in the Bible. Not that I've read. And when I read this, I'm praying, Holy Spirit, you've got to teach me. He doesn't show me anything different. He doesn't tell me about nations coming against nations, and that's what these stars and these moons, and that's what all the chaos is going to be. No, the earth is going to be tore up from the, from the core up. From the core up, it's going to be tore up. That's it. So, if you're here today, and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sin, I invite you to come to the altar. No one knows when his or her time on earth will come to an end. So if I were you, I'd make that decision to give my life to Jesus Christ before leaving the sanctuary today. What the Old Testament prophets were commanded by God to speak is being spoken again to us today. Today, the, the word of God never changes, and therefore, the message never changes. Every person will stand before Jesus one day and be judged. Will you stand before him saved, or will you stand before him condemned? Which one are you? Which will you be? The decision is always yours. That's what I love about God, is that the Muslim will force you to become a Muslim. God will not. He will not force himself on you. Buddha, Buddhism talks about suffering. That's all they think about suffering. They talk about suffering. In the back of Gita and all of these other books of the Hindus, with all their thousands of gods, talk about nothing about salvation. Talk about nothing about Jesus Christ. Nothing about the resurrection. Only reincarnation. Coming back as a dog, or coming back as a roach, or coming back as a flea, or coming back as something. And all they're worried about, and, and, and the caste system is concerned about the, the, the color of your skin. And if you're light-skinned, then, you then you have made it through. That is a bunch of garbage. No one can prove any of that. Never, ever prove it all. And this thing about um, evolution, Darwinism, is all garbage. We spend all our time talking about uh, evolution, and it's not real. Not in the sense that Darwin talks about. And then Richard Dawkins, there is no God. Atheism. Let me tell you something. He is dying, and he's going to find out when he leaves here that he, there is a God. And he's going to regret everything he said, but it's going to be too late. I can only tell you what the Word says. All these people with their fancy ideas and their notions about there is no Christ. There is no God. Well, Jesus was just a man, just like you and me. They missed it. They don't understand the hypostatic union, where the spirit and the, and the flesh come together, where Christ becomes totally God and totally man. 